When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 16, and we're recording on December 21st. I'm Sharifa Williams, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. And we were just talking about the holidays because it's December. <laughs> this is actually coming out January, like right after the new year. But we're like in holiday mode pre-Christmas and that whole thing. So Yeah. The Book Riot offices are mostly closed next week. So it's it's we're pre-recording and we're also... I, I don't know about you, but I'm, like, pre-scheduling my entire life. Oh, Basically, yeah. Like, my entire work life is now pre-scheduled. I am there the with you. Week. I think I, I, over the weekend, I mean, nobody cares about my work process, but, <laughs> like, I spent hours and hours just because I was, like, I just don't want, I just want to sort of, like, allow myself to kind of relax into the holiday schedule next week because, you know, the holidays are hectic anyway Mm -hmm. without work. So I was just like, I just want to do everything in advance. I'd rather like (laughs) spend some weekend time just making sure I stay sane over the course of the holidays rather than, you know, not. (laughs) Yeah, I was using up some paid time off and my days off were basically just like me running all of these chores. So I didn't have to run them on work days. So that's a thing. Um, Okay, so before we dive into our news stories, I'm going to tell you about our first sponsor, which is Libby. They are the one-tap reading app from OverDrive. Um, You can put Libby on your smartphone and then access thousands of eBooks and audiobooks from your library for free anytime and anywhere. They have titles in all genres. There are bestsellers. There's backlists. There's classics. There's comics. There's just a ton. And it works on Apple and Android devices and is compatible with your Kindle. So however you're e-reading, Libby will probably work for you. All you need is a library card. Uh, You can also sample any book in the library collection without one. And in certain locations, Libby will even help you get your library card for you. So you can check it out at meet.libbyapp.com. And I will just say that I use it every day, multiple times a day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I have become such a library ebook borrower it's so convenient it'll be like 10 o'clock at night and I'll be lying in bed like surfing my library catalogs (laughs) to see what book I want to borrow next so I'm a fan me too and I see so many people commenting that they love Libby and they use it all the time so I feel like it's it's trending now indeed indeed (laughs) awesome um so thank you to Libby uh and I think I want to kick off this show with a fun one. Mm. I want to talk about the Lord of the Rings wine. (laughs) (laughs) I knew you were going to pick that. I couldn't not because first of all, 
I love The Lord of the Rings. Even though I am one of the people who has not finished actually reading the books, I just love the characters and the story concepts and the fact that it was written and it's so complex and long. Um, But I also really love wine. So when I saw this, I was like, should I get this? So Warner Brothers has teamed up with Lot 18, and they released a line of wine inspired by Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy. So this is, like, movie-focused. Um, and it features four varietals, spotlighting a different uh, Tolkien character. So it's Aragorn, Frodo, Galadriel, and Gandalf. And immediately after, we post some news stories on our back channels um, for Book Riot. And almost immediately after this was posted, one of our contributors said she already bought, like, two bottles. <laughs> so I feel like this is going to be a popular item. I I would be curious to see if anybody bought some for the holidays, but I kind of wish I had. Um, I'm hoping that it lasts because then I can actually buy it after the holidays once I'm done buying everybody else everything. <laughs> so it says that um, each vintage is limited to only 6,000 bottles each. So I'm I'm not like, I'm not holding my breath that I'll be able to get any of these. But if you see any that are still available, you should totally snatch them up. I would probably save them in case they become, you know, an item, a vintage item that is worth a lot more later on down the line, you know, pass it on to the next generation or whatever, or just drink it immediately after (laughs) you get it, which is what I I might do. (laughs) Did you look at the varietals? Did you look at the blends? Was there anything that stood out to you? You know what? I'm like not a huge wine drinker, although I do Mm -hmm. know what I like. Um, And I will say I have this this blend that they did for Aragorn sounds Mm -hmm. weird to me. Like it's a Merlot, Cab Franc and Malbec blend. Like that's not a red blend I've ever had. But like maybe I don't know. Um, And then Frodo's is a Zinfandel, which is somehow not what I would have picked, although I don't think I could tell you what I would have picked. Um, and then Galadriel's is a Bordeaux Blanc, which works for me. Like, it's a white wine. It's citrusy. Like, sure. Absolutely. And then Gandalf's is a Pinot Noir, and I don't know how to feel about that. <laughs> I don't know. Gandalf's, I apparently have feelings yeah. about this. Gandalf is hard to place. Like, I, I couldn't imagine what I would choose for him. So... I mean, I agree that it's kind of a weird pick, but I also can't say I know what would be a better one. Yeah. Um, like for Aragorn, I might have just done a straight Malbec, honestly. Yeah. Although I don't know if I can rationalize why. But yeah, like Gandalf is port in my head. Like he drinks port, right? Like that's, oh, that's what, a good one. Which is, uh, yeah, I don't know if that counts though, because that's like a dessert wine. So it's different or I a think- fortified wine or whatever. I think it could probably count. I mean, they're doing a red blend here. And yeah. I think for Frodo, I would have, I I don't know. I think I would have picked something earthier. Like, mm. for some reason, when I think of Frodo, I think of mushrooms, which doesn't sound oh, yeah, totally. like a great wine flavor. <laughs> but, you know, something like you, you have wines. Sometimes you come across wines that have very, like, earthy undertones. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can taste a little bit of the barrel. So I would think that. Yeah, um, definitely 
something to go with like second breakfast or something yes. like that, you know, like <laughs> I will say that if I was going to order one, I would order the Galadriel. I think I like that like label design and that wine description the best. Yeah, I think they did choose well. I would probably buy that one. Although I don't drink that many white wines, but mm. I think like this is one of those cases where I would buy it just for the label and just because <laughs> I would be excited to show everybody that I have a Lord of the Rings wine and right, I'm sure a lot right. of people are doing that. So yeah, I'm, I'm not bring it to book club or something. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, that's a really good idea. Actually, everybody would be super impressed, especially mm-hmm. if you have like a sci-fi and fantasy based book club. Yeah. That would be perfect so Mm -hmm. yeah i i don't know if i'll get the if i do end up getting it i will let everybody know but i feel like they're all going to be sold out after the holidays that's my prediction that's a fair prediction yeah okay let's see what should we talk about next i want to talk about this uh disney rights deal so disney has picked up the rights to 20th First Century Fox's TV and movie properties. Um, They like I have had a merger. um, It finalized last week, and what this means is that now Disney has all of the X Men properties in addition to the Marvel properties that they already like have. So, and and and. And X-Men and and I I can't okay. So X in the comics world, the X-Men and the Avengers like do occasionally bump into each other. Um one of the most recent examples I can think of is in Miss Marvel. There's this great little story arc where Kamala Khan gets to team up with Wolverine and she's like Oh yeah freaking out. I remember, remember that? that? I yeah. love that. That was such a good storyline. So like we could see something like that on screen perhaps um they could be part of the same movie universe now uh which i think is interesting i mean i will say that the x-men movies are very hit or miss for me i don't always Mm -hmm. love them (laughs) Mm -hmm. um so you know there's that um (laughs) i don't know but it's yeah it's very it's very potentially interesting i guess is how i want to say it um so and like marvel studios president kevin feig is like a fan of the merger because he might want to bring some of the solo mutants into the mcu and so like they're already thinking about it clearly um so i will be curious to see what they decide to do like i'm very curious to see what they decide to do with this yeah. And they do say here that, you know, the, the ripple effect is almost impossible to predict, which, mm-hmm. you know, of course it is. And But it's just a huge, it's a huge deal. Like, it was reportedly valued at $52.4 billion, if that gives you some idea of the scale of this. So, I mean, this is... This is a lot of... These are a lot of properties that are being taken over by Disney, and I, I don't really have any sort of opinion about whether I feel like this is going to make the next movies and the whatever they come up with mm. worse or better. Right. You know, it remains to be seen. But I I'm also on the same 
I'm, I'm also curious about how this is actually going to affect these franchises. And yeah, yeah because I, I'm the same way with X-Men. Like, I... I think I preferred like the animated cartoons, the yeah. X Men cartoons, over anything I've seen in, in, <laughs> on oh, the man. big screen. <laughs> True story. Earlier this year, I watched all of the Wolverine movies before oh, wow. I went to see Logan. Oh wow! How it was, was occasionally painful. Um, yeah, yeah. Did you like? It Logan? was interesting. It was interesting, and then I watched all of the X Men regular movies too. I was I like fell down a very large X Men rabbit hole. Um, I yeah I, I don't. It's like we don't have enough time for me to get into my X Men <laughs> feelings right okay. now. We just don't have enough time. Um, the other thing I will say about this merger is it kind of freaks me out because it also means that Disney now owns a majority stake in Hulu. Oh, and that's right. They were talking about launching their own. I'm pretty sure they're launching their own. Uh, streaming service, which will be a separate subscription from yes. Hulu. So the streaming world is going to get real interesting slash potentially very siloed uh, over the coming months slash years. So that's another, I mean, th there's a lot of different kinds of fallout from this merger. Um, I just thought like for the purposes of this podcast, the X-Men and potential, mm -hmm. you know, Avengers crossovers are interesting to me. So I think so too. And then like the one random bit of information in this, there's so much going on in this article, but yeah. there's like the random information that the Disney CEO might retire so that he can yeah. mount a campaign to become the next U.S. president. Right, like, like, I what? don't even. What? what? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I just kind of skipped that part. I was like, I can't with this right yeah, now. Like, I just no, can't. I don't so. blame you. Okay. Well, there's that <laughs> world. Um, and then there's more news in, you know, these mega corporations. So, Paramount has confirmed release dates for a bunch of different series. This is almost like the same sort of news as our, our She-Ra news. Mm -hmm. But so one of the films um, that's going to get a date is the Dungeons. It's going to be based on the Dungeons and Dragons game. So the film is going to be out uh, in 2021. So a while from now, July 2021. And it says it will not be a continuation of the 2000 film of the same name, which I did not watch. Nope. And uh, so Rob Letterman is attached and the Baby Driver star, Ansel Elgort. I watched that movie. It was interesting. <laughs> interesting, <laughs> she Interesting. Says. Yeah. Um, this is, it, yeah, I, I didn't watch the 2000 film and... I knew a lot of people in high school who played Dungeons and Dragons who probably have all sorts of opinions about how this movie is going to turn out. Did you mm -hmm. ever play Dungeons and Dragons? I mean, actually, it's funny. So as a kid, I was not allowed to play because my parents are religious and mm -hmm. they were very concerned that we would think that we were actual witches or that we could fly and jump off of a roof. Like, you remember wow. all those stories that went around when we were kids about, like, the harmful effects of D&D &D on child psychology? I do. I, wow, I completely <laughs> forgot about those until you mentioned it. Oh, yes. So ridiculous. But I read all of the Dragonlance books, which were basically D&D books like in narrative form um, or D&D campaigns in narrative form rather and um, I had friends who played and then I played a bit in college and after college so I 
am always curious to see how they're going to try to do a Dungeons and Dragons movie because nobody has had much success with this in the past. Yeah. Um, like, it's almost like they can't get over how many options and tropes they have to play with and they create, like, the worst of all possible combination mm. tropius <laughs> movies. <laughs> so I'm curious to see. I mean, I don't know, you know, Rob Letterman's work, so I guess we'll see. I'm not sure about Ansel Elgort as, like, leading man in a Dungeons & Dragons, like, movie. Like, I don't know what that looks like. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. because Like, it, is he going to be, like, Orlando Bloom in a wig style, like, <laughs> lead? Or, like, what's oh going to happen there? Yeah, they don't get into know. the details of, like, what the characters are going to look like, what the storyline is going no. to be. It's very bare, bone, bare bones news, of course, because it's not coming out until 2021. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there is um, – I can see that there might be a tendency to go to a very cheesy realm with this, mm-hmm. especially if people who are involved in the production and writing it have never really played it or don't have a lot of knowledge about the game. So, like, I watched the World of Warcraft movie that came out recently, and I really wish I had not. <laughs> and I knew that it was going to be – a certain way because I knew, you know, World of Warcraft is also the same way. I think a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, game-based fantasies and and science fiction properties can, I, I don't know, like they just tend to go to the side of cheesy. Well, and, and there's a way to do cheesy right. Like yeah. it doesn't have to be like you know, an Oscar worthy film to be good. Like it doesn't have to take itself seriously. It can be fun. Um, yeah. Like the best X-Men movies are like, they know their material, they play with it a little bit and, you know, they also deliver on sort of the, the bones of the thing. I would say the newest Star Trek movie, Star Trek beyond also mm-hmm. did that. Well, like it had a sense of humor about it, but it also really loved its original source material. And that came through for me. So there, like, there's a way to do it. Uh, it's just, I have not seen anybody do it in a way that I appreciate yet. So I'm very curious to see, um, what happens next with that? I will also say they they now also have the G.I. Joe um, movie rights. And yeah. I have been watching those movies. Oh, I wow. <laughs> I love action movies. I love them. And also G.I. Joe is a staple of my childhood. I, and the movies really don't connect back to that cartoon for me. But they are like very, you know, entertaining explosions and martial arts kind of, you know, gun battle movies. Um, and the most recent one, I believe I really enjoyed. I, I get them mixed up in my head, but but yeah, so I'm curious to see if they if they're gonna reboot it or if they're gonna they're gonna, you know, continue with the storyline that they've started. Um the 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 new one is gonna be by DJ Caruso, who directed the return of Xander Cage. <laughs> so we'll oh. see what happens. <laughs> That it's gonna be interesting. Like yeah. I'm with like with the GI Joe stuff. I think like I just enjoy sometimes seeing the characters from my past, like in that nostalgic sense, being on on the big screen again and just being able to recognize them and remember them from you know the cartoon. So mm-hmm. yeah, I also mm-hmm. watch them. So we'll yes. see. We'll see where they go with all of these things. It's gonna we be. Will. It might be funny. I don't think I'm gonna be too offended if it 
doesn't go very well. No, I'm not invested <laughs> in any of this. Yeah. yeah. Should we talk about your baby? <laughs> oh my goodness. This happened like an hour before we started recording. We were trying to decide on our uh, news agenda and we were a little bit lost for additional things. And then I was like, oh, what if we started looking at best of lists? And then I fell down a rabbit hole and made a spreadsheet. So here's what happened. <laughs> I was rounding up the the various um, best of sci-fi fantasy posts from the interwebs. And um, this is not at all scientific. I just was Googling and pulling all of the ones I could. So some of them, one or two were YA specific. Most of them weren't. Um, a couple of them were like, you know, the Goodreads Award, which is voters. A couple of them were reviewers choice. Um, a couple of them were based on like what books got the best reviews on the site. So it's very sort of... Um, um, it's not scientific is what I'm trying to say. But what I did was in my spreadsheet, I tabulated which ones got how many mentions um, and, and just kind of put all of them into a spreadsheet. And what is so interesting to me about this year's best of list is how all over the place they are. Like mm -hmm. there are seven titles that were mentioned four or more times out of the possible, let's see, out of the possible 13. So... But but four or more times out of 13 different posts, like, I feel like in past years, there's, there has been more consensus about what the best books of the year were. And this yeah. year, there is very little consensus. Like, it is all over the place. It is. I, like, first of all, when I looked at this, I was like, wow, this is really impressive. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you put it together that fast. But yeah, like there's, for instance, The Stone Sky and The Bear and the Nightingale. Um, I was actually surprised to see The Bear and, Bear and the Nightingale on the list because I felt like for a while it was under the radar. That's by Catherine Arden. And I really enjoyed the book. But to see it listed that high was interesting. Um, yeah. So, so well, let's say, so well, I'm going to put a link to the spreadsheet yeah. in the show notes. But the top, the very, the the clear forerunner was Stone Sky. Mm -hmm. It got mentioned in, what is that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. There were only three lists that didn't include the Stone Sky of the ones that I looked at. Um, and then the next highest were A Conjuring of Light by V.E. Schwab and The Power by Naomi Alderman. Both of those got five mentions. And then, Baron the Nightingale, um, Born by Jeff Vandermeer, City of Brass by S.A. Chakraborty, and House of Binding Thorns by Elliot Bedard were all also um, four or more. And what's super interesting to me about this is that four of these books are in ser are not first books in a series. They're like sequels or in some cases yeah. third books in a series, which is a is an interesting thing to pick for a best of. I mean, I'm not disagreeing. Stone Sky was amazing. Yes. And it's an incredible third book. Like when you look at trilogies, it's an incredible finale to a trilogy. But but I just didn't expect to see so many series books, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if it just speaks to how popular the series are. Like V. Schwab, for That's instance, fair. so many people... So many people have read that series that I feel like there's sort of a safety in putting them on the list because they know people will have read the last book or, mm. you know, like it, nobody will be terribly surprised or they all have seen the book around and heard a lot of buzz about it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it is interesting that that many are on the list, like that many series. Um, House of Binding Thorns, I haven't read 
and it's the second book. And, like, it's almost more surprising to me to see the second book in a series mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. even a third. Because at least there's, like, a sense of if it's a trilogy, it's right. a finale. So it's a big deal. But when it's the second book, unless this is a duology, that's when I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> like the second book is sort of the one where you're like, it's like a limbo state book. And now suddenly right. it's on like the big best of list. So yeah. yeah, yeah, it's very curious. And then some of them I know people will be surprised are not on more lists, be- mm-hmm. like The Book of Dust by Philip yep. Pullman. But that's just, I think that's a product also of having come out so late in the year. Um yeah, I mean, it is interesting. And like, I was very surprised that The Changeling, for example, oh, wasn't yeah. higher by Victor Laval. Like, why isn't that? It only had two mentions. That seems hmm. wrong to me. Um, and I also felt very out of the loop because I've only read two of those top seven of the roundups. I've read um, Born and I read Stone Sky, but I haven't read any of the other ones yet. And it's not that I wasn't hearing about them, although I didn't love the first book in the Baron the Nightingale series. So, Mm -hmm. like, I probably wasn't going to read that one anyway. Um, But, yeah, City of Breasts just came out very recently. Yeah, that one And The Power has been out for a while, and I'm just behind on it. Like, I I know that I'm behind on some of these, but still, it was... I guess it was not at all the list I was expecting to come up with when I when I first started logging them. It's not at all the list I thought it was going to be. And me neither. When I saw the first of them, I almost couldn't even I couldn't <laughs> even go down the rest of the list because I was just stuck in my head. I'm right. actually really glad to see Prey of Gods even on this list because we well, were, we're talking about that. Well, we're one of the that. two. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Okay. It only got it only got two mentions and one of those was from Book Riot. <laughs> so, oh, that's so funny. That is so um, funny. I'm not upset. <laughs> we love yeah, that book. Yeah, and you know, to a couple of these ones that got more than one mentions, I I did not finish. Like I I found them unreadable and put them down. Ooh. Which just goes to show you how broad taste is. Like the my did not finish as somebody else's best book of the year. Like that happens. Yeah, so. I'm sure if I went through the list, I would find some that I'm not going to name by title yes i was gonna say i'm not gonna trash anybody at this point on the show but but Mm. i was surprised (laughs) lots of surprises happening here well i feel like everybody is going to be really interested in seeing this list and coming up with their own analyses and yeah i'm gonna try to tidy it up a bit right now it's very messy because (laughs) i did it in an hour (laughs) and i'll keep adding to it too um maybe i'll snapshot what the list is as of the time of recording and then i'll add another tab that has um future stuff on it but but yeah it's a pretty it's a i i I think it just goes to show like if i was gonna like draw a conclusion from how wide-ranging this list is it's that this was a great year for science fiction and fantasy there were a ton of great books and the fact that nobody can can agree on which ones were the best ones just means like more to love to me i know yeah i agree and i i can only hope that next year well, when you hear this, it'll be this year. 2018 will be as epic as it was this year. Mm-hmm. I just read like one book um, that comes out in January and I was immediately like, oh, this is so good. So I have high hopes for next year and it'll be interesting if we put together a list at the end of next year to see how how that looks. Yeah, um, well, I'm I'm happy to make this an annual <laughs> project now that I do love your spreadsheets I do love my spreadsheets I love them so much well they're very helpful so we love that you love them because I don't think it could do it (laughs) 
Fair enough. Okay, so before we get to our picks for today's theme, which is Gateway Books, I'm going to tell you about our second sponsor, which is Rebel Base Books, which is the new sci-fi fantasy imprint from Kensington Publishing. Um, So Rebel Base launches this January, so this month, the month you're hearing this, with an eclectic list of genre-bending new series from best-selling and debut authors. Investigate the dark depths of an AI revolution in synthetic, fight for the magic of Tandara in a a medal of wizards, race to save humanity from the epidemic of the Pandora series, or look into the enchanted mirror of the dark glass novels. Whether you're a fan of classic fantasy or looking for a fresh take on sci-fi, Rebel Base Books Rebel Base is here for the rebellious reader. Learn more at www.rebelbasebooks.com. And thank you so much to Rebel Base Books for sponsoring today's show. Why don't you kick us off with your first pick, Jen? All right. So, yes, we were thinking about gateway books, meaning books for the reader who hasn't yet come to love fantasy and science fiction, and that might give them an entry point. Um, And, you know, we've talked about before sort of our personal gateways. Mine were um, J.R.R. Tolkien and Dragonlance and, you know, Anne McCaffrey's Dragon Riders of Pern. Um, But I wanted to pick something a little less classic, a little more contemporary. So my fantasy pick is Sorcerer to the Crown by Zen Cho. Finally, an opportunity to talk about my beloved Sorcerer (laughs) to the Crown. I love it so much. Um, And the reason I picked this one as a gateway book is not only because when when this came out, I was at the bookstore and we just sold it to a crazy cross section of people like Mm -hmm. It was amazing how easy a hand sell it was to people who wouldn't normally pick up a fantasy book. Um, And what I think Zen Cho did in this book is that she captures the sort of baseline of fantasy and that this is a novel set in sort of a, you know, like oldie time Britain and there's lords and there's dragons and there's fairyland. So it has all of the elements of a classic fantasy, but she's really updated it in that you have a main character who is black, like doesn't happen in classic fantasy very often. Um, You have multiple characters of color. It goes beyond the borders of England. It's got a slightly international cast. And it has um, a female character who I just die for. Oh my goodness, Prunella is amazing. So the basic plot, if you haven't already heard, is that uh, the main character, Zacharias, um, is a freed slave. He was brought up by a wealthy white family. And he is now like a grown man and is the Sorcerer Royal of the Unnatural Philosophers, which is the sort of magician organization in Britain. And the problem that they're having is magic is drying up. Like when they go to do spells, there's literally not enough magic for them to do it. Um, So his job now is to find out what is going on, as well as try to wrangle this organization of like, quite frankly, old white men who want nothing to do with him and are super mad that he's in charge now. Um, And then in the process, he um, makes a side trip to give a lecture at a girls' school and finds all of these young women doing all of this magic. They don't seem to have any trouble with a shortage of magic. And Prunella is this very powerful, self-taught young woman who decides that she is going to join Zacharias on his adventure 
whether or not he's interested. And hijinks ensue, and it's so much fun. The one problem with this book is that it is the first in a series, and the rest of them are not out yet. And we are just waiting and waiting. Um, I've seen I've seen 2018 and 2019 listed as like the next book is coming out. So who knows when we'll get the sequel? But regardless of that, I love this book in and of itself. Um, and I do feel like it is a great entry to fantasy because it it. It's a magical system that will be, you know, sort of familiar, but with a new twist. Um, It's feminist. It's inclusive. It just has all of the things going for it. And I love it so much. So that is Sorcerer to the Crown by Zen Cho. I totally second that. I love that book so much. It's so fun. So Mm -hmm. fun. I can't wait for the next one to come out. I know. (laughs) Uh, Before I pick my first one, I just wanted to give a shout out to The Hazelwood by Melissa Albert. That was the book I was actually referencing when I said I just read a book from January of 2018 that I loved so much. And I think not only is it a great pick for somebody who's just entering fantasy, it's also a great pick for somebody who maybe thinks that they don't like young adult fiction. So I I don't want to tell you too much about it, but it surrounds it's about like Angela Carter esque fairy tales and Ooh. a girl who's living in you know the contemporary world and she's very sarcastic and very angry and I love it so much. So <laughs> shout out to the Hazelwood. But my actual pick is the Ballad of Black Tom by Victor Laval, which we all love. Um, and I had to bring him back into the ring for this pick. It's This is an award-winning novella. It won the Shirley Jackson Award for novella, and it was nominated for the Hugo and Nebula in the same category, and it's just a really good, really dark, really creepy book, um, but I think it's – I think anybody will love it. The story follows Charles Thomas Tester, which is, in my opinion, a great name, um, and Charles lives in the black community of Harlem with his father – The setting, it takes place in 1924, and Charles is basically making money with charisma. He has a lot of charisma, he's a street performer, and he also performs some shady dealings. So this is how he keeps a roof over his and his father's heads. Uh, But he takes one job with a mysterious, a powerful book involved. He takes this book to an elderly woman's home, and... She turns out to have some really strange powers, and you can tell immediately she is not the right sort of person to be around or to have any sort of dealings with. And of course, this all leads to trouble, this delivery that he was supposed to do for a job. And Charles's interactions with her basically land him right in the middle of a couple of cops. And there's a brute and a scholarly type, and both of them are awful and bigoted and down to inflict violence on Charles. And it goes from one bad thing to the next. After a really terrifying, harrowing pursuit, Charles ends up at a mansion where he meets this wealthy man named Robert Suidam, who he who wants to hire him to perform at this big party he has because Charles always carries around this um, empty guitar case. And this is when things get really strange. So Charles's ties to Robert have him under even greater scrutiny by the police. And being inside the mansion doesn't necessarily provide the relief he's looking for because there's something really off about Robert and the promises he makes to Charles. And there's definitely something wrong with what Charles sees at the party. And things are 
brought to a fever pitch and between the troubles that happened in consequence of meeting this woman who wanted the book, the cops and Robert Suidam, Charles's world gets completely turned on its head. And I picked this book because even though it's really short, which also makes it a really, um, you know, an easy read, especially if you don't necessarily want to get right into an epic fantasy series, he's, Laval is really successful in fleshing out these characters and making them feel real. So it's easy to develop an attachment to them, uh, which is to say that there's some tough reading in here. There are some really horrible things that happen to Charles and his family. So I should also warn you that this book gets really gory and it's definitely a bit of nightmare fuel, but I picked it up. I picked it because it, it does a really solid job of illustrating how powerful the genre can be, how powerful fantasy can be, and because plenty of it is grounded in reality and history. Because, you know, like it's hard sometimes to jump into fantasy that takes place in a time and place and a world that is completely removed from yours, especially if you don't normally read that stuff or you don't know how you feel about it. Um, so it's set in a more recognizable world. Uh, it also has the right elements, the magical book, the creature feature feel, and a surreal sort of glister, which I loved. And I'm not a fan of Lovecraft's fiction, but this is basically Lavelle doing Lovecraft, and I really, really enjoyed his take. Um, so yeah, that was The Ballad of Black Tom by Victor Lavelle. I will always co-sign Victor Laval. Yeah. He's wonderful. <laughs> very dark. Very dark. Very That's dark. intro to dark fantasy. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, this is good. We've balanced each other out because mine is very light. Um, oh, yeah. All right. So my sci-fi pick, man, I changed my mind like 16 times. I saw on this that. One. I kept changing my mind. Um, I had a really hard time picking because sci-fi is both sort of ubiquitous in our culture, but also not necessarily easy to break into if you've never read a science fiction book before, because there are some sort of conventions of the genre that if you're unfamiliar with them, they can be very, what's the word I want? Like, not scary, but sort of off-putting or, or um, yeah. sort of gatekeepery. So, So I, after talking with a lot of people about this, I finally settled on Lightless by C.A. Higgins, which is the first in a series. And it, okay, what does it do? It satisfies a couple of the things I was looking for in that it is very readable. It's not highly technical. And it has characters that you are going to want to follow whether or not you're down for like the the sciency bits of it, um, and it also has a plot that relies on more than just the sciency bits. So what happens in Lightless is there is a experimental military spaceship, um, sort of hanging out in space doing experiments like you do when you're an experimental military spaceship, and um, but the crew on board, like or especially Althea, who is the computer scientist, is a very uh, sort of 
like she has very sciencey feelings about what she's doing. She's not like a big political person. She's just there to conduct her experiments and and find out, you know, the things that they're looking to find out. So uh, she also has bonded very deeply with the ship's uh, AI, um, which is is just sort of supportive. You know, like it's literally like a like a Star Trek like you know system that responds to you when you talk to it, and it helps with the ship's functions. But she spends a lot of time, you know, working on the ship's electronic systems, and she's got a very analytical mind, and she's not super good at people, so she feels most comfortable with the ship's electronic system. Um, And then two terrorists gain access to the ship, and nobody knows, like, they don't know why they're there, they don't know how they got on board, but, like, suddenly there are people on the ship mucking up the works, and one of the things they do is mess with the computer's uh, AI, which then produces some really unexpected consequences. In the meantime, you are also finding out what these terrorists are doing on the ship. And they have a whole really complicated and fascinating political backstory. So through these two people who board the ship, you learn sort of what is going on in the bigger world. And then through Althea, who's the computer scientist, you learn what is going on on this particular ship and why it's important. So you have a couple of different entry points into the plot, which I thought worked really, really really well. Um, The book does go back and forth between points of view and every conversation I've had about this book with people like everybody has a different favorite POV which I thought was super fun so like if one character isn't working for you there might be another one who will. And I found myself just totally gripped. It's a little bit of a political thriller. It's a little bit of like a, you know, artificial intelligence story. Um, it's it's that, you know, crew, like closed room mystery because they're stuck in the middle of space and it's just them. And like, what what is the people dynamic like when that's the case? So it's just, it's got a lot going on, but it's not overwhelming. It's not overwhelmingly technical. There's not a lot of like weird terminology or lingo that you have to learn. Um, and it's just a good story. It's a really good story. And it is a very smart book. Like, it's not it's not lazy or, or dumbed down. It just doesn't rely on a lot of techno jargon to bring you into the plot. So that's Lightless by C.A. Higgins, which is the first in a series. And I believe, yes, all three of the books are out now. So if you like it, there is more. Nice. That is always mm-hmm. ideal. Yeah. Um, So for my sci-fi pick, I went with an author who was one of my entry points into science fiction, and that is Douglas Adams, and I picked Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, which is the first book in a series, Um, and news that the television adaptation of Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency was just canceled, literally this week, Um, but I assure you the book is really good. And the first book uh, in the Dirk Gently series, this is a series of sort of three books. There are two full books, and then there's one other one that's incomplete, but I'll get to that later. Um, So it's possible you haven't heard of this book, but you have heard of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which is also by Douglas Adams, and also a great pick, in my opinion, for someone new to science fiction, for much the same reasons I'm going to talk about here. Uh, This story is really madcap and absurd and delightful. 
and I saw it was described as a thumping good detective ghost <laughs> horror whodunit time travel romantic musical comedy epic. <laughs> and I would have to agree with that assessment. Um, so Dirk, Dirk Gently is a private investigator who's been hired to solve a murder. And Dirk Gently is, as the title suggests, a holistic detective. He believes in the fundamental interconnectedness of things. And for better or for worse, a man named Richard McDuff gets mixed up with Gently when he's named a suspect in the death of his boss, uh, which Gently is investigating. And this all sounds sort of reasonable as far as detective stories go. But there's also an electric monk whose history relates to the beginning of life on Earth. And there's a remorseful ghost of an alien wandering around hoping to possess a soul. And then there's also that Coleridge's poem Kubla Khan has a lot to do with everything. It's very strange. But I had a (laughs) blast reading this book. I actually listened to it on audiobook and I was just enjoying myself so much. It's the sort of read... That allows you to say, oh, well, I guess I'm going to be taken to completely baffling places. I might as well just sit back and enjoy the ride. It does a really good job of convincing you to suspend disbelief because you know that whatever happens next, it's going to be absurd. And I think like some of my problem, especially when I was just getting into science fiction, was that I would get so bogged down in the like technical details and a lot of like the hard science-y stuff. And it would just get a little bit overwhelming because, especially since I didn't read a lot of that going into it, um, and I think I really needed something that was absurd and would allow me to say, I don't understand this, but I'm really enjoying it somehow anyway. And also the characters are quirky and interesting. And, you know, Adam's narrative voice is always on point and so dry and so funny. So it covers a lot of different bases. It has this sort of Sherlock Holmes feel, a Doctor Who feel, and a lot of that dry British humor, uh, which I personally really enjoy. And I can't remember how long it is, because, especially because I listened to it on audiobook, but I remember it being a very quick read. Like, I got yeah, through it. Yeah, short. I, yeah. It must have been like a day. And I think that can be helpful just like with um, Laval's novella when you're just trying to get a feel for the genre. And there, so there are three books in this series, as I mentioned. There's The Long Dark Tea Time of the Soul as well and then The Salmon of Doubt. So they can read – if somebody likes the first book, they can read The Long Dark Tea Time of the Soul. Um But The Salmon of Doubt is incomplete. So Adams wasn't able to finish that book before he died. But the incomplete novel is included in the collection of essays that is The Salmon of Doubt. And, you know, of course, there's always The Hitchhiker's Guide for more in that vein. If you find you really like Douglas Adams' voice, um, that's a longer one. It's a really great series. Um, So, yeah. And, yeah, there was a a BBC TV adaptation of this book starring Elijah Wood, but it got canceled this week. So I never watched it. I kind of felt like I didn't know how they were going to adapt it I didn't feel like I needed to really see that Um, yeah I was gonna ask I watched the the pilot I watched the first episode and they had strayed so far from some very basic mm. source material that I was like this is not for me like I'm too invested in the Dirk Gently books for this show so yeah well maybe that explains it I'm sort of glad I I let it I let 
the book stay with me and didn't. Yeah, I love it. Dirk Gently books. It's so fun. It's so, so fun. So yes, if you love the sound of that, I hope you will pick up Dirk Gently Holistic Detective Agency. That was by Douglas Adams. And we have a top 20 giveaway we need to talk about as well. We do. So, yes, we generated the best of um, based on contributor voting. And we have decided to give away the top 20 books from that list. So we you can enter until uh, January 14th. And um, it is a really great stack of Mm -hmm. books. There's some good sci-fi fantasy in there. There's also just like some totally amazing books, generally speaking. Uh, It's it's a super good stack. You you want it on your bookshelf. Uh, So (laughs) I want it. I want it. I know. It's it like drives me crazy that I can't enter our own giveaway. I know. Um, so if you go to bookriot.com slash bookriot top 20, and that's two zero, uh, you can enter. There's also going to be a link in the show notes. So definitely check that out. And you have until uh, January 14th. And this one is open to the U.S. and Canada. And that's our show. That's it. That's it right now for December for us for this year. Yeah, we're wrapping up the wrapping up December, looking at January. So when you are listening to this, hopefully you will have had a very happy New Year's Day slash Eve. Um, thank you so much for listening. You can always email us at sffyeah at bookriot.com. You can review the show on Apple Podcasts. We love to see your feedback and it helps other folks to find the show. You can find me on Tumblr. It's jenirl.tumblr.com and that's Jen with two N's. Sharifa, what about you? I'm on Instagram. You can find me at S Zainab Williams, S Z A I N A B Williams. And until the next time, happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.